This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, welcome to Blue Wire. After you finish listening to this awesome Blue Wire podcast, make sure you check out the other pods in our Blue Wire family. Okay, I know, you're probably wondering, how do I do that? Well, it's simple. Go to iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts and search Blue Wire. Ta-da! They will all be there, so have fun listening. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. My name is Dan Favalli, coming at you with my super-duper, incredibly esteemed, awesome times awesome, fantabulous, tried to convince Twitter that Joe Ingles is way better than Clay Thompson less than 24 hours ago, co-host Andrew D. Bailey. Before we get into the second part of our top 25 lineup series, which now includes, thanks to this dunce who is talking right now, Ame Culpa, uh, just want to remind, implore, beg, plead with everyone to continue rating and reviewing and subscribing to us on iTunes. You can also find us wherever else you're getting your podcasts, Spotify, Art19, Stitcher, Google Play, all those fun places. But iTunes is still the best way to let us know that you're out there, that you're listening. Throw us the five-star rating if you haven't done that already. Leave us a review. We love reading those. If you haven't subscribed, please do that already. And if you've done all those things, please, referrals, shout-outs on Twitter. Get the word out that Hardwood Knox is the basketball podcast that everyone should be listening to to enrich their their lives. Um, with all that out of the way, we get to ask the question that we have not asked in exactly a week because this week was insane. Andy, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Um, and I was I was happy to spread the good word on Joe Ingles yesterday. I'm always happy to spread the good word on Joe Ingles. There's there's good words on Joe Ingles, and there's whatever you did with that tweet. <laughs> I'm all about just uh, destroying people's preconceptions, Dan. You know this about me. Here's the thing, though, and maybe this is <laughs> maybe some of these people listen to the podcast. Can we like I, I like I don't know if you've just tweeted out so many per seventy five possession stats or whatever at this point that they've memorized them. I'm going to go out on a limb and say they didn't, especially when you looked at points and points generated by assists. Must people, when you throw out that trivia, look it up, like look up the numbers and then say the right answer? Like, what are you gleaning from that? Uh, props to the people that actually knew it. I don't necessarily understand who might have, but like, why? Like, why do you have to look it up and then and then just say it? Like, what? I'm, tr- I'm just trying to understand if, if you're going to reveal it eventually anyway. What is I don't understand the propositional value of that. You just gotta. Everybody's gotta know right now. That it's like, I don't know. Just now, 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 now. I I'm actually tempted to look stuff up when I see trivia 
things too. And usually I, I'm able to resist. I think the way people figure it out, by the way, is when I do one that has real plus minus, which is what I did with the Ingles and Thompson one. That so that's actually fairly, yeah. yeah, that's fairly easy to just go to one spot and, and look those up. Um, sometimes I'll get real creative. Like it's, it's super hard to guess if I take some players like five year peak, then it's like, that's impossible to look up pretty much. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe we'll not <laughs> next time. There's some good internet sleuths out there. That's for sure. Um, so we have our top 10 lineups today, which are really the top nine because I missed a lineup last time. So we're going to read them back to, it was only one lineup ending up being the 26 lineup and a lineup that neither of us would have guessed. Um, the sample size is small enough for us not to have guessed it. So, I'm just going to read through them quickly, beginning with the number 25 lineup that I left off last time. That combination comes from the Chicago Bulls. Uh, Ryan Archidiacono, Zach Levine, Otto Porter, Lori Markkinen, and Robin Lopez. They've only played 107 possessions together, um, but <laughs> their net rating is is 52.5 in those 100 possessions for a lineup score of 56 point. Just as a refresher, we are taking uh, possessions, a minimum of 100, multiplying them by net rating, um, and that's how we're getting these these lineup scores, uh, which we then divide by 100 to deal with uh, just miniature scores, so I'm not saying these long-ass numbers. So that's it how is they... pretty crazy that, that a Bulls lineup made it. It had to be a Bulls lineup that barely played this season. It had to be that way, though. Yeah. But I mean, it's still. I, I looked it up just now on uh, NBA.com too, and it played a total of fifty-three minutes to get together, and its its total plus minus was plus fifty-seven. I mean, that's impressive. I In there's fifty-three minutes. That's crazy. You never would have convinced me that this was the lineup that's behind them, the number twenty-six lineup that. You could have sold me on. Uh, the Clippers, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Pat Beverly, Landry Shamit, yeah. Neil Gallinari, and Zubak. They they came close to beating them, and they played um, 440 possessions together. And that's something we don't talk about the Clippers enough. They're, they're starting two rookies. That's just like, you know it, yeah, but you don't crazy. really know it until you say it out loud. Yeah. It helps that they have like maybe the top two six-man-of-the-year candidates coming off the bench for them. Oh, it definitely doesn't. Gallo, if there was a fourth All-NBA team, he'd be on it this year probably. Yeah, he's been ridiculous. I'm just excited for this Bulls lineup to play real minutes next year and maintain that plus 50 net rating. That'll uh, be cool. Lopez won't be there next year, though. So that'll be Wendell Carter Jr. instead of Lopez. Maybe even there. Zion. It'll be like plus 70 then. Yeah, maybe plus 100 even in, in, like <laughs> in five possessions or something. Why put a cap on it? Yeah, let's not do that. So they are number 25. Um, and I'm going to run through the ones that we did last time quickly. Number 24 is came from the Pacers, Darren Collison, Victor Oladipo, Boyan Bogdanovich, Thaddeus Young, Miles Turner. Number 23 comes from the Pistons, Ish Smith, Langston Galloway, Luke Kennard, Blake Griffin, Andre Drummond. Uh, number 22 is from the Magic, which is DJ Augustine, Terrence Ross, Evan Fournier, Aaron Gordon, and Nikola Vucevic. Number 21, also from the Pacers, Darren Collison, Tyreek Evans, Boyan Bogdanovich, Thaddeus Young, Miles Turner. Um, number 20, from the Raptors, Fred Van Fleet, 
Danny Green, Kawhi Leonard, Pascal Siakam, Serge Ibaka. Um, number 19 is from the Celtics, uh, Kyrie Irving, Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, Marcus Morris, and Al Horford. Number 18 would have been, is, would have been, from the Sixers, Ben Simmons, J.J. Redick, Jimmy Butler, Tobias Harris, Joel Embiid. That's one we definitely identified as an arrangement that would be way higher if they played um, more minutes together. Number 17 from the Nuggets, Jamal Murray, Will Barton, Gary Harris, Paul Millsap, and Nikola Jokic. Number 16 is, 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 I almost did what you did, it's from the Spurs, Patty Mills, Marco Bellinelli, Rudy Gay, Davis Bertans, and Jakob Pertle. Number 15 uh, Derek is also from the Spurs. Derek White, Bryn Forbes, DeMar DeRozan, Davis Bertans, and LaMarcus Aldridge. Number 14 is from Denver. Jamal Murray, Malik Beasley, Tory Craig, Paul Millsap, Nikola Jokic. Number 13 from Oklahoma City, Dennis Schroeder, Terrence Ferguson, Paul George, Jeremy Grant, Stephen Adams. Number 12 from the Magic, DJ Augustine, Evan Fournier, Aaron Gordon, Jonathan Isaac, and Nikola Vucevic. Number 11, Eric Bledsoe. Uh, the Bucks, obviously, Malcolm Brogdon, Chris Middleton, Giannis Atentacumpo, and Brooke Lopez. Uh, number 10, which we did discuss at length, so please go to part one if you've not listened to it already, is from the Blazers, Damian Lillard, <clears throat> CJ McCollum, uh, Jake Lehman, Al Farouk Aminu, and Yosef Nurkic, who is out for the season. And as the final refresher, the lineups that we disqualified are ones that can no longer be fielded if players were traded. We are totally fine, as you saw with the Pacers when we named Oladipo, or now the Blazers with Nurkic, including ones with players who suffered injuries and are done for the year. And once more is we took the number of possessions every every lineup played, multiplied it by net rating, and then just divided that by a hundred for a lineup score and sorted that way. That was um that was some good stuff. But congratulations to the Bulls lineup for Cracking the top 25. I mean, you talk about almost the bare minimum sample size, 107 possessions. That's good for them. Yeah, I say good for them as well. Um, All right, I'm going to jump straight into number nine. Let's do it. The Charlotte Hornets. Kimba Walker, Jeremy Lamb, Nicholas Batum, Marvin Williams, and Cody Zeller. uh, Played 1,220 possessions. Had a 7.7 net rating. Lineup score of 93.94. I guess I'm not terribly shocked by this lineup being here. I mean, obviously the Hornets are sub 500 right now. So you wouldn't, you wouldn't think a team with that had a lineup that played that many possessions at, at such a solid net rating um, would still be scraping and clawing for a long shot to get into the playoffs. Um, They're pretty close to eliminated now, if I'm not mistaken, but it seems like this has kind of been the case with the Hornets for two or three years now. They've had a similar general lineup here um, for a few years, and they always seem like they're pretty good when those guys are on the floor, particularly Kemba Walker. And then when they're not on the floor, particularly Kemba Walker, uh, things just kind of fall apart. So it's, I guess it's not super surprising uh, that they have a lineup that's this good. It, I think it just reinforces the fact that the guys behind them might not be great. It actually really surprised me that they turned up here, or at least this high. Um, and it definitely took me by surprise that they played over 1,200 possessions together. Just looking at the amount of time that Cody Zeller 
has missed this year. Yeah, that's true. Um, Nicholas Batum is like barely in the rotation right now. Uh, and he was, I guess he, I mean, he did start for most of the year. So maybe that's not surprising. It's not like him coming off the bench would have impacted that. But certainly with, um, certainly with Zeller's injuries, I was a little bit, I, this was one of the most played lineups of all of last year in general, I believe as well too. So to kind of see them, again log so much time together maybe the results aren't surprising but the the sample size is certainly uh there for me and it doesn't this lineup is you know it, it's fine but like you said the uh the hornets are now extremely close to being um eliminated from the playoffs and it'll be interesting to see how that sort of impacts Kemba Walker's free agency do you think he's gone um it's, I don't know. It's so hard to predict. Uh, there will certainly be suitors, and we've heard that he wants to be – didn't he say something like – or at least there was some report that he might have said something like he wants to be a lifetime Hornet? Yeah, I mean, he's he hasn't sounded like a guy that wants to leave. The thing that took me really just – or something I took to heart is when the Short Observer's Rick Bonnell just opened an article that said – and just said it. The first line in the article was basically – I no longer think it's likely that Kemba Walker returns to Charlotte. And just for him to write something like that right off the bat, so almost definitively, I was like, oh. That's interesting. Yeah, I missed that. Um, there, It seems like they should, they should kind of know that their ceiling is capped with what they've got going on there. <laughs> um, Kemba Walker would be a great – but this second or jazz. third star. Well, yeah. Um, but as soon as Kyrie Irving left Cleveland, I thought um, maybe LeBron could use somebody like Kemba to kind of fill that role. He's he's an awesome number one guy. I'm just not sure that your ceiling is going to be much higher than what the Hornets have shown the last few years if he is your number one guy. If he's your number two or even if like if he's your number three guy, then you've got a great team, I think. Um, it might even be more it, a matter of him coming close to just having an equal because the support, you could, you're not going to be a championship contender with Kemba Walker as just your number one guy, unless the number two, like unless it's, there's two number ones essentially, but the Hornets have done a terrible job putting a supporting cast together. <laughs> that's true. I, I think like logistically, a lot of the guys fit with him pretty well. Like, I think it makes sense to have kind of a playmaking forward and Nicholas Batum and, and the stretch four and Marvin Williams and Cody Zeller's a good rim runner and his health has been a problem too. So there's, in terms of like what type of players they've put around him, it makes sense. But you're right that they're, um, it's got to be the right type of player and the right level of talent too. And they haven't, they haven't done the number, that second prong at all really. No, not at all. So does that, would, to, to ask my question again, do you think he leaves? Um, you, well, that is hard. I, I think if Charlotte was able to, if Charlotte maxes him, I think he stays. Do you think that Maxim, if he makes an all-NBA team, which I don't know that we could say is overwhelmingly likely, but it's certainly a possibility. If he gets third, third team, um, does that trigger the designated player max? Yeah, so he would get the. Yeah. I think it's like two hundred twenty-one point something million over five. Jeez. I wouldn't do that if I was Charlotte, but um, 
maybe the other side, I mean, I just made the case that their ceiling is capped with him and maybe they should look to start over. But the other side of that is, and we've talked about this with the magic a few times. Um, do you roll the die? Because the way to get a super superstar, if you're one of these smaller market teams is to get really lucky in the draft, I think. Mm-hmm. And do, do you roll the dice and try to do that in the draft? Or do you just continue to go with a guy who's a, a fan favorite and will always have you competing for the playoffs? Um, the, it comes back to the like philosophical discussion of is, is success only winning an NBA title or is success having a team that can compete for a 500 record every year, which is kind of what Charlotte has done. I would think it's probably a little more than the second one. Um, if I'm a team that's not like a perennial title contender, I would at least want to be like a perennial solid playoff team. Um, and right, I'm not sure Charlotte is that. So Right. I think I think Charlotte would be okay being a perennial um, playoff, like hopeful or, or contender and someone who finishes right around or above 500, but they, they, they haven't been that since 20. That's true. They haven't even gotten to that level. That's <laughs> I mean, if they, I don't know, they'll probably won't lose out, but this could be the third consecutive season that they win 36 or fewer games, which is, that's, I, I honestly. And it always seems like they should be better, doesn't it? This is the one season that I think you look at them and you didn't expect that. They had, they got a little hot at the beginning of the season uh, when it looked like MKG at the four and was going to work out. Maybe you saw some small ball minutes at the five. Uh, the Tony Parker and Kemba Walker lineups together were just torching uh torching other teams offensively, but that hasn't held up. So I think this is the first season where you look at them and maybe it's just because we've seen the past two years and said, yeah, this is, this is about where they would be. I did think that they would, I believe both of us picked them to make the playoffs. I can double that. I double check that really quick, but we, um, I think we left off the, the Pistons, if I'm not mistaken. So um, do we have our predictions in this same doc that we're looking at? Yes, we do. I am. I'm actually sorting them as we speak, and it turns out, who did we have? We have... Well, I had the Hornets ninth. Oh, both Ooh. of us had the Hornets ninth. Look at that. But we both had the Wizards in the playoffs. That's rough. That's a team that definitely should be better than their... Neither one of us putting the Nets in the playoffs. Goddamn. Gosh darn. No. No. Um... Yeah, I think he's. It'd be fun to revisit those predictions for an episode. Uh, we already did the over unders, and that was a little demoralizing. Oh, that's true. <laughs> Let's not do that. Um, with Walker, I think he's. I don't know. I don't know if he's gone. He might be, and we never see this anymore. He might be an interesting sign and trade option, just because you look at the situation that Charlotte's in, where they could really want like anything um, in exchange for his services, and maybe he wants to join a team that has cap space but maybe not enough if they want to keep some of their other players. Uh, knock up, hashtag Utah. But uh, I kind of think he's gone unless they go at him with the full boat. And I maybe they'll be that desperate because they didn't trade him over the past two deadlines. If I'm him, though, I that would be the only reason I'd stay. Um, on the Utah thing, because there, there has been a lot of talk of that on that, He's, I think he's clearly a the massive upgrade over Rubio, but the size of that Walker Mitchell backcourt is a little scary to me. That's fair enough. But if they were going to look at 
Mike Conley would Conley six three. Conley small too. Yeah, yeah so, I think Conley six one. Yeah, so that that's that's about the same size as yeah. Walker. So it's certainly for them, it'd probably be better for a wing. But I hope he doesn't. Well, I don't know actually. Maybe I wouldn't mind seeing him on the Lakers, but I I want to see Kemba Walker back in the playoffs, basically. basically. Yeah. Watch the Lakers come out of this summer with Kemba and Anthony Davis somehow. That would be the weirdest like <laughs> fake contender because that's not a championship team. But at the same time, it could end up being a really. I don't. Game. Yeah, I was gonna say I don't. I wouldn't pick them to win the title. But if you've got, if you have Anthony Davis playing at the level that he was before everything happened this season, plus LeBron, um, who I think did take a step back, but he still averaged like twenty eight, eight and eight. Um, and yeah, then Kimball Walker, who can kind of fill that that Kyrie Irving role that he had in Cleveland. I think that's a really good team. Now, I say all this thinking that there's almost no chance um, that the Lakers get Anthony Davis this summer. I think he'll probably still eventually sign there as a free agent. But I think the trade just like Paul uh, George. opportunity has sailed. Just like Paul George is going to eventually sign yeah. as a free agent. Yeah. See, for them with Anthony Davis – one of the scenarios they need to hope for, aside from the Pelicans hiring a front office that is in love with their prospects, would be the Knicks not winning the lottery, so they don't have Zion Williams to offer, and then yeah. uh, Kyrie Irving leaving Boston anyway to play with Kevin Durant on the Knicks. Yeah. Because then yeah. I don't know that Boston comes in with an over-the-top offer. I would actually guess that they would not include Tatum. It's not a guarantee that they even include him now, but if Irving leaves, I doubt they include him. And that sort of levels the playing field when you're looking at Unless another team just really, you know, maybe Kawhi Leonard stays with Toronto and, and their team's out there looking like, well, Paul George stayed in OKC and, and Kawhi stayed in Toronto. And then they just go, that would, I would be there for that. But if you're the Lakers, that's kind of what you're rooting for at this point. Yeah. Um, I guess there's still an outside chance, but it just, it doesn't especially feel with, likely. Yeah, it feels very unlikely to me. You ready to do the number eight lineup? I mean, let's uh, do it. Yeah. The um, lineup. Number eight, Indiana Pacers, Corey Joseph, Tyreek Evans, Doug McDermott, Thad Young, Demonis Sabonis, uh, 328 possessions, plus 29 net rating uh, for a lineup score of 95.12. This is obviously a mostly bench mob uh, for the Pacers. And I mentioned earlier that the Clippers have two six man of the year candidates. Um, I haven't sat down and like really made a decision of who I would pick to be six man of the year, but Demonis Sabonis is certainly in the conversation too. I mean, he's been uh, just unreal this season and the, the bench lineups that he's led. It's not terribly surprising to see one of them here. No, not at all. Um, the Pacers have shown up a few times and Sabonis wasn't in the, the first two, I believe. So, uh, that their bench has been sneaky good, one of the three best in point differential per 100 possessions. And I know that, uh, I mean, maybe not really with this person. I know Evans has started some games, but even you added Wes Matthews, so it's not like you changed the bench rotation that much. This is this is strong. It's, it's funny that they're still shooting um, so high from three-point range when Evans hasn't been good this year. And Doug McDermott and his wild home-to-road swings with shooting. But this doesn't really surprise me. Maybe it surprised me that, that it's this high, that an all-bench mob is is this high. But the Pacers, have their success has been predicated on depth. And you look at what this lineup could what this lineup can do defensively, and then maybe it makes sense. But then you look, and they have an offensive rating of 127.4. And that's not something I ever would have um, predicted for them. 
I think it was the Zach Lowe pod with Chris Herring that was just maybe a day or two ago. Um, they talked about this. Would you be shocked if the Pacers beat the Celtics in the first round? No, not at all. I wouldn't either, um, which is just crazy given what I think just about everybody thought when Victor Oladipo suffered his injury. Um, it's it's pretty amazing that they've – they haven't maintained where they were with Oladipo, but to to hang in there at number five where they, they currently are, um, it's pretty impressive to me. And, and I would not be shocked either if they pulled off that upset. I Boston still has all kinds of questions. Right, and I wouldn't necessarily expect it either, but there's danger. And Boston kind of showed it last year in a team that's playing with found money. They don't mm-hmm. have. No one's going to expect them to go far in the playoffs. They don't have their best player, and that—that that in yeah. itself makes it dangerous. Like they've played basically 500 basketball without him this year, I believe. So that's they're certainly a team to watch. And that's if you're rooting for chaos, you want Indiana to beat Boston in the first round because that just has all sorts of trickle down effects when you look at the off season. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. Number seven, and a little bit surprising that it took us this long to get one of Golden State's lineups. Uh, Stephen Curry, Clay Thompson, Andre Godala, Kevin Durant, Draymond Green. They have played 344 possessions together, net rating of 28.2 for a lineup score of 97.01. This is just, what else can you say about it? It's always, I mean, the offensive rating is about 130, which is just bonkers. It's just absolutely bonkers. For anyone who's been worried about Golden State's defense this year this remains and I think the returns were actually shaky last year Draymond Green had said it overall the numbers weren't great but the the this this lineup has a defensive rating of 101.7 this is the five-man combination that they're going to seek to close games within the playoffs or at least they should and I I would expect we get to see more of it I know Kevon Looney's been good and you have DeMarcus Cousins who kind of throws a wrinkle into the plans but if you want especially early on. I mean, in general, yeah, if you're in a close series, this is the lineup or a close game. This is the lineup you want to get you out of it. But if you're looking to have these sort of quick, decisive victories early on so that you're not kind of toiling in these five or six game sets in the first and second round, like this is a, this is a lineup you have to lean on. I would think at least for a majority of, of fourth quarters. And now that Stephen Curry can actually see, I mean, (laughs) that story was crazy. Um, yeah, I'm sure they'll use this lineup more in the playoffs. It seems like they discovered this secret weapon. They played it the first year Kerr was there, right? The Draymond Green at the five lineups. I'd have to go back and look at that. That was when they uh, – um, that was the change that they made in the playoffs where it was we're going to start. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. Um, so, I yeah, I do think it'll probably be a lot more common in the postseason, and when you when you said they're going to hope not to get into these five and five or six game series um how many how many total games do you think the warriors play in the playoffs this year can i set an over under yeah i'm gonna say i'm gonna say 3.5 is my over under wait what do you 3.5 i was thinking they lose throughout the playoffs oh okay 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 um I might take the under on that. The only thing that worries I was going to set their total games played at eighteen. Oh, you meant games played? Sorry. So yeah. So we're, I think we're losses. around the same yeah. ballpark, though. It's, where it gets difficult for me is I do think that if they face Milwaukee or Toronto in the East, 
there's a chance that it's a real series. And I'm not ready after what the Rockets have done. Um, their defense has been a lot better since the All-Star break. I'm not – there's a chance maybe they give Golden State a real series. But it also – I think when you look at the West in general, would it surprise you if the Warriors entered the NBA Finals without having lost a game? I wouldn't be shocked by that. It's um, not since you think they're only going to lose two throughout the entire <laughs> season. I, so I actually just – I think it was just last – it was just last night. Um, I should be able to remember that far back. Um, I was just saying that I wouldn't be surprised if the Bucks won. And I think I've probably said that a few times this year, but I, I still in the back of my mind think and almost know that as soon as Golden State flips the switch, it, they're just going to dominate. Um, and that, that switch is real. Just look at what they've done to the Nuggets this year. I know the poor Nuggets. Every time, every time the Warriors really want to make a statement, it, the Nuggets just happen to be next on the schedule. Because and, and you're you're exactly right. I feel like they can do that to any team whenever they want to. Which is just absolutely like this isn't the people thought there was a switch in Cleveland there, and it became clear uh, that there was no switch in Cleveland, and so it's just not like this anyway. No, I mean, but this I don't. There just wasn't a switch. There was, I guess, LeBron <laughs> had a switch, but this entire team is like Andre Iguodala ha- has like clear two distinct modes. It's just like yeah. the playoff Iguodala and yep. regular season Iguodala. And there are just other guys on the team that are like that. I think you could even say Sean Livingston a little bit. And then defensively, overall, I would say that Clay Thompson and, and, and Draymond Green are like the players on, are one of the few players on the team that give more than 60% on the defensive end at times during the regular season. <laughs> yeah. And then when they, re- I mean, everybody ratchets up to like, 95 going through the West and then they hit a hundred in the playoff or in the finals. And it's just, I, there's, there's almost nothing that can be done until Kevin Durant goes to the Knicks. Different. <laughs> that's a topic for a different day. Number six, um, Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, Evan Turner, Al Farouk Aminu, and Yusuf Nurkic. Uh, obviously that's the Blazers. And again, it's just sad that Nurkic will not be there in the playoffs. Um, 540 possessions plus 18.9 net rating. And I feel like I have been kind of vindicated over the last couple of years with Evan Turner. <laughs> um, his individual advanced numbers are still really, really bad. But <clears throat> I haven't looked this up this season, but I remember looking it up last season that there was like a slight uptick in the efficiency of Lillard and McCollum when they shared the floor with Turner. And I remember thinking when they signed him, he, he was just coming off that season with the Celtics where it, it looked like he's he's kind of figured out what he can be and how he can be effective in the NBA. And I was like, maybe this is like a, a slightly watered down version of Curry, Thompson and Green, where you have this this playmaking forward who can't really shoot, but he does make things easier for the two really high scoring guards. Um, and it seems like it's it's kind of worked for Portland. I mean, it's obviously not apples to apples with the Warriors. We just talked about how they can dominate anyone whenever they want, but they're they're the, the Blazers have unlocked something with this lineup. Um, and, and you are, you've mentioned how good Alpha Rukamino has been this year. His defense has been awesome. Um, Nurkic has been like when he was healthy, was a top, I, I think 25 to 30 player in the league this year, as crazy as that sounds. Um, it's it's just a shame that we don't get to see the Blazers at full strength. It seems like this happens to them 
uh, as much as anyone. Um, it's, yeah. it's just really unfortunate how many terrible injuries they, they get. They had the Brandon Roy, uh, Greg Oden, um, Wesley Matthews. We can go way back in history. It happened with them and Bill Walton. Um, it, they just they have terrible, terrible luck. This the Nurkic one, and I think Lowe and Herring talked about this parallels Wesley Matthews. I think it came later in the season, and that Blazers team was definitely better. But this looked like you know they're still fighting mathematically for a two seed. So yeah, to lose what who has been your second best player this year, that's it's 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 really just unfortunate. And this lineup, you know, you're talking about what they figured out offensively, and the numbers are there offensively too. Uh, they're holding opponents. This five-man group was holding opponents to an effective field goal percentage of forty-seven point five. Wow! So it just there's and to again, you're talking. I know you're talking about Evan Turner seems to have found his role, but to have those types of offensive returns with him on the floor, this group is shooting thirty-seven point five percent from three. That's not easy either. Al Farouk is a league average shooter. About Nurkic doesn't shoot threes. Turner's not a good shooter, and so you're really resting on. Uh, Lillard and McCollum, and McCollum's not really a volume three guy either, unless I've just, um, unless I'm just mistaken this season. But like, it's he's a good shooter, but you're really, um, resting on the importance of what Damian Lillard does. And yeah, six point four attempts per from three per thirty six minutes for for CJ. That's um, I mean that that's up there. But it's just you don't look at this lineup. I don't think there's offensive talent there. But with Amanu and Turner specifically, I, I don't think you guarantee yourself this this juggernaut and certainly when you combine Nurkic um, and then start asking the spacing questions, it's, it's just, it would have been cool to see how this held up in the playoffs, this momentum that they kind of built during the regular season. And they're even, what is going to go like CJ McCollum just still day to day with his left knee strain too. So that's, and I, he's not expected to play against the nuggets on Friday and we're recording this Friday morning. The Blazers are really just the team to watch. They lost Nurkic, and I don't think anyone expects them to go deep in the playoffs anymore. But is McCollum going to be right when the postseason starts? Yeah, if they don't have him either, that's um, yeah, they're in tons of trouble. I'm going to call myself out real quick, and they, <laughs> Lillard and McCollum are actually both comfortably better with Turner off the court this year, which is interesting that this lineup was able to climb this high. Um, but spoiler alert: we're not done with the Blazers yet. Um. All right, everyone. We've got an announcement to make. Blue Wire is teaming up with Harry's to make sure our listeners are shaving comfortably. Go to Harry's.com/bluewire to save ten dollars on a value trial set, which includes a five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. You get all of that for just $3 shipped right to your door. Enough with the cheap razors. It's totally worth trying Harry's. Harry's has fixed shaving by combining a simple, clean design with quality and durable blades at a fair price. Harry's founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. Harry's bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making quality blades for over 95 years. Join the 10 million who have already tried Harry's. Claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com slash bluewire. All of Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know, and they'll give you a full refund. Nothing to lose. Go try this. Again, make sure you go to harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire to redeem your razor for only $3. Number number five. (laughs) 
comes from the Toronto Raptors. Kyle Lowry, Danny Green, Kawhi Leonard, Pascal Siakam, Serge Ibaka. They've played over 1,136 possessions together. They have a net rating of 9 for a lineup score of 102.24. This is just a this is this is the lineup you would expect to see. Uh, yeah. I know it's not their starting lineup anymore with Mark Gasol um, now in the starting five, but this has been a good lineup. Serge Ibaka shooting a zillion percent on long twos for basically the entire year. Um, Kyle Lowry has had weird shooting swings this year, but anyone who still just doesn't think that he's a star or really good misses the mark. He can do so many things defensively. What he's done as a playmaker this year, um, really setting up guys and breaking down defenses with the way he's constantly probing the middle. And what I think was maybe it was properly sold at the beginning of the year, but what still remains undersold is that he's really helped this adjustment period with Toronto by taking on a larger playmaker's role. And I know that that those numbers have dropped as well, but he's, he's deferential in the sense that he doesn't need to go out there and average 18, 19, 20 points a game, 15, 18 shots per game. And there's so much value in having that. So you can let Kawhi sort of figure it out on offense so that you can give Pascal Siakam more responsibilities so that you can help integrate Marcus all. So uh, he's been huge to their success. Danny green, one of the net rating swing Kings this year, Leonard mm-hmm. has obviously been great. The, the final thing I'll say about this lineup too is that Pascal Siakam is probably going to be my most improved player of the year, and I can't wrap my heads around people who think that he's he's not a real candidate. I don't know if that's just someone suffering from too much D'Angelo Russell fever, but Pascal <laughs> Siakam is it's not he's not just so good because they have Lowry and Leonard and and all these other weapons. He's He's a guy that dribbles the ball a ton, that can run fast breaks, that's been de- breaking down defense in the half court, that's hit shots off the dribble. Uh, he's so good defensively for them. I believe that we're going to see more Siakam at the five in the playoffs. It's been sort of seldom used so far this year. I believe sub 400 possessions, if I'm not mistaken, last time we've checked. And so he's he's just, he's a monster. And I think anyone who is... Not even. I'm not saying he has to win. There are other worthy candidates, including D'Angelo Russell. Um, Harold's probably up there. Sabonis is up there. It's to not consider him in the top two or three, though. To me, is just a little bit. It's. It, I don't know. I can't imagine it because he's been so good this year. So, <clears throat> interesting thing about this lineup to me, anyway, is as long as you've got those first four guys. You're, you're pretty much set if you're the Raptors. Um, when Lowry, Green, Siakam, and Leonard are all on the floor, um, Toronto's net rating is in the 97th percentile, plus 12.3. The one that we just talked about, the, the Ibaka variation, is in the 65th. Jonas Valanciunas, uh, when he was at center, it was 89th percentile. And when it's Gasol at center, it's 82nd percentile. Um, so they're, they're obviously in really, really great shape. Another thing I mentioned last night in the same Twitter thread thread is I I'm at this point picking Milwaukee to represent the East in the finals, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't be at all surprised if it's Toronto. Uh, we haven't seen this group together a ton. Uh, and I think they probably will be for, for most of the playoffs and they're going to be really, really tough to beat. I think head to head comparison of the starting fives of Milwaukee and Toronto are really close. Um, and then the other thing, 
I had a little back and forth on Twitter the other day. Am I crazy um, to think that I would take Danny Green over DeMar DeRozan in certain situations? No. it's If you need like from scratch shot creation and a table setter, obviously not. But yeah. what Danny Green does defensively even now as he's getting up there in age and having to cover all these tough guards, not someone you want on the bigger wings again. Uh, he's and his his role is just this catch and shoot guy um from beyond the arc he is the fact that he was essentially treated like thrown in the Kawhi Leonard trade is a huge blunder and that's I we don't need to relitigate that but that's no. when Spurs fans try to defend it for me that the salaries wouldn't have worked otherwise there is always another way <laughs> a few weeks into this season I thought maybe maybe this year will convince some people of how good Danny Green is because it always seemed like he was undervalued by a, by a certain segment of fans in Toronto or in uh, when he was with the Spurs, uh, and his impact on Toronto has just been insane. And I, I figured maybe more people would come around to it. The the Suns specifically came up, and there's no there's no reason that any either of these guys will end up there. But if you've already got two young guys like a like Booker and Aiton, I think it's almost a no brainer that you take Danny Green there. Um, he's he's such a great plug and play type player will just do he'll do all that I mean this is super cliche but he'll do all that stuff that your star players don't necessarily want to do uh, or, or maybe won't do for as long as they're out there I mean when he's on the floor he's always going to do exactly what he's <laughs> told to do um, He, I mean he's just I think he's so much better than people realize for several years now you get to a point where fit really matters and he's basically yeah. a universal plug and play guy that you could put yes. him on any team and he's going to be good. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> number four, back to the Warriors, Stephen Curry, Clay Thompson, Kevin Durant, Draymond Green, and Kevon Looney. This was obviously a lineup that started a, a lot of games for them early in the season. Uh, played 636 possessions, which is actually lower than I would have thought. It's net rating is 16 and a half. Lineup score of 104.94. I guess my jumping off point on this, and feel free to deviate, but I I don't think this is like a crazy controversial statement, but it seems like Golden State's ceiling might be higher in these lineups that don't have DeMarcus Cousins. Um, it's almost like we have to get really nitpicky with the Warriors to right. find issues, but it's it's – there are moments when it seems like there's too many cooks when you've got cousins, Durant, Curry, Thompson all out there. No, I'm definitely I'm I'm with you there. That the the lineup with cousins has perked up a bit in recent weeks weeks as he's sort of gotten his footing under him, but he has not by and by been the the usual threat offensively. And when you're just going to mix in these stretches where he doesn't really get back on defense um, mm-hmm. in transition, there's there is a chance that that they will end up making some incredibly tough decisions during the playoffs where I do think there will be a ton of games as insofar as the Warriors enter crunch time that he won't be on the floor for. I'm not sure how he'll react. My guess is he'll probably be fine. This is something he signed up for to a degree. We've seen him make some sort of weird faces at different points since coming back, but it's not like, you know, anything crazy. So uh, Looney has been Looney has been exceptional for them this season. And he's, I'm interested to see what happens to him in free agency. I can't, he's only 23. 
And I yeah. feel like he's been around forever. This is his yep. fourth season, but he's only 23. And so he's been really good for them. If you look at, um, this is something I that I looked up, is the 10 players he spent the most time guarding. Joseph Nurkic, Willie Cauley-Stein, DeAndre Jordan, Montrez Harrell, Anthony Davis, Carl Anthony Towns, Nicole Jokic, Mark Gasol, LaMarcus Aldridge, and Steven Adams. The Warriors as a team, when he uh, ends a possession defending one of those players, are allowing 1.06 and change points per possession, which is just a solid Mm. number because we're talking about uh, a sample size of over 730 possessions. So he's been really great for them. Um, If you look at his per 36-minute splits, um, the only players that are averaging as – um, at least 10 points, 10 rebounds, two assists, one steal, and one block for 36 minutes. You have Nikola Vucevic, Bam Adebayo, uh, Gorgie Jang, Mason Plumley, Giannis, Joseph Nurkic, and Anthony Davis. So um, Jang benefits from not really having a big playing time sample size. He's been, he's just been really, he's been really solid this season. So his free agency is going to be interesting. I'd imagine keeping him is important when we, We've talked about how he's probably better fit than Cousins, but when you don't own Cousins' bird rights, you sort of need him to – you sort of need to plug the middle somehow, and Jordan Bell no longer looks like the the big guy of the future there for them. It also says something that when he's def- – I know the I just went through a list of bigs that he's defended the most. This is someone who hangs tight when he's on the perimeter switching um, mm-hmm. on, onto guards and stuff. So, again, he's been he's been incredibly good for them this year. All right, number three, <clears throat> Ricky Rubio, Donovan Mitchell, Joe Ingles, Jay Crowder, and Rudy Gobert. 926 possessions, 13.4 net rating, 124.08 uh, lineup score. This is a lineup we probably talked about last season, too. Um, all the same things <laughs> still work and apply. Uh, it's it just there's a huge difference generally speaking when there's more of a playmaking four next to Gobert um, than favors, even though favors has been ridiculous individually this season. And Jay Crowder isn't exactly what you, what your ideal is when you think of a playmaking or a stretch four. Um, it just fit wise. It just makes a ton of sense to have a bunch of guys who can play on the perimeter around Gobert. Um, and this lineup just continues to do really, really well this season. Something I found surprising about this lineup with the numbers is how often they foul. That really um, took me by surprise. But this says a lot about how important it is for the Jazz or how – maybe I don't want to use the word important, but how impactful playing with uh, playmaking for it is for them. Because Ricky Rubio has not been great this season. And Jay Crowder, like you said, individually is bleh. He's not – like his, <laughs> you could be indifferent. He's eh. I'll, I'll give him a slight um... – He's slightly above bleh for me. So eh, we'll remove the B and the L. It, so <laughs> it's it's it. It was a cheat code for them last year. It's basically been a cheat code for them this year. I mean, like you said, the net rating on the side of a sixteen point five, and what it does for their offense, which has it's been better in the half court in recent weeks, but it's struggled overall on the season. Been middle of the rung to worse. Uh, One twenty three point six offensive rating is just really no joke and. You know, with the way Rubio's been shooting the ball for much of this year, to have a lineup out there that's attempting threes at a rate of 27 per 36 minutes and hitting them at almost a 39% clip uh, without is, is just, you know, that's big for them. And it's something they probably need to lean on in the playoffs as good as 
Derek Favors has been individually this season. You can still use bench-heavy lineups with him at center, I'm sure. But getting to these types of situations, I think, is important for them to maximize their potential to go deep in the postseason. And that's why, you know, I talk about Kemba Walker being a great fit for them over the offseason, but it might just be... If you, I know you don't want to get rid of favors, but it does seem like if they got another playmaking wing, that it might go further than having a point guard. Just move Donovan Mitchell yep. um, to point guard at that point. Yeah, like I always think they're this good with Jay Crowder in that role. Just imagine if they had like Danilo Gallinari. I want the record role. to show, although I did not have the text message in front of me, that I talked to you about Danilo Gallinari on the Jazz about midway through the season, and you were not intrigued. <laughs> I was. You were still uh, I was driving the Otto Porter but, train, I think. That's probably what it was. Because I, I still think that he would have been an amazing fit um, there. But, yeah, I sorry. I, I probably sound like I'm not. You're angry at your keyboard is what it sounds like, right? <laughs> no, I figured it out. Um, I know we're not talking about this lineup, but when Favors and Ingles are on the floor and the rest of the starters are off, can you guess what that group's net rating is? I I can't even fathom a try. Can I say? Yeah, that's a tough question. Yeah, I got. I'm going to say 11 or higher. 18.3, 99th percentile. Yeah, so I wasn't even close, even with my. Orbit. So I remember we talked about this earlier this season that, um, generally speaking, Faber's carrying bench lineups just wasn't working. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how much different it would be if I took Ingles out of this qu- equation, but it seemed like at, at some point this season they realized as long as we have Favors and Ingles together on the bench units, it's really good. Um, I, I do think the upgrade to like Gallinari or, or a Porter type player probably outweighs that, but it is nice to be able to have that kind of a bench to fall back on. So I I would be kind of surprised if Utah does not try to at least explore the market with Favors' deal. I think they'll probably pick up the option and and see what they can get in the trade market for him. But I also I'm, I'm at a point now where I don't think it would be crazy to bring him back. No, and it's you can sign. You'll still have cap space. I gave you the exact number one of the days. I'd have to look it up again on my Google sheet. They could still have substantial cap space, and if they wanted to broker a sign and trade. That for a free agent, that does go a long way because you still have, let's say, the numbers fifteen or sixteen million in cap space that they would have. So you still have that cushion. Um, since the way that salaries count toward each other in those scenarios is just bizarre, and you have Exum's deal obviously isn't the best in the world, but he has two years left at nine point six million a pop, and you probably don't hesitate to give up this year's first round pick and another pick if it means getting a star while keeping favors intact and having the option with with Crowder. It de- a lot of it depends on the free agent yeah. market. If I will say this, if they end up waiving favors who which they have until July 6th to do, to me it means that they have knowledge that someone's coming. Yeah. Because I don't know how you true. I don't know unless you're planning on reworking his deal, which is also fine, but do you really want to get into him long term? I know this is he's been good this year, but are we still sure that this is a a long haul setup for them. Yeah. So I mean, it's a question. He's had lots of health problems. Um, he was mostly healthy this year, but he, there is a history of some back issues. So that's always a little scary. He is there. 108 players are defending at least three shots at the rim per game. Derek opponents are shooting 49.9% against Derek favors. The top 
mark of those 108 <laughs> players. No one else is allowing under 50% shooting at the rim on that volume per game. Somebody listed um, their all defense teams and had Faber's first team, and I, I kind of double member of SLC Dunk Slack. No, it wasn't <laughs> even. That's why. That's why I was surprised, and that's why I did like a double take. Um, but when you dig into the numbers, it's not a crazy thing. It's funny that I've I've turned this into a Derek Faber's conversation uh, for a lineup that doesn't even include him. Um, all right, are we ready to jump to number two? I think that one's yours, actually. Yes, it is. Uh, I actually skipped the lineup last time on purpose because I wanted to set it up perfectly so that you could have that jazz lineup to read off. No, well done. Number two, and this hurts, again, uh, from the Blazers, Damian Lillard, C.J. McCollum, Mo Harkless, Aminu, Yosef Nurkic. Uh, they've played They played uh, 1,561 possessions together, 8.4 net rating for a lineup score of 131.8. One two, just a solid lineup. Offensive rating of 117. Um, they don't turn the ball over too much. They every single lineup basically with Joseph Nurkic for the Blazers has absolutely killed it on the offensive glass uh, this year. Their their defensive rating wasn't great, 108.6. Nothing that super stands out, but it's in the middle enough for them to have this success where their net rating is above eight. And if you're going to have a lineup that plays more than 1,500 possessions, and your net rating is 7 or higher just in that area, you're in great shape. And so, mm-hmm. it, again, the Nurkic injury is huge for what it, how, for how it forces Portland to adjust. The I can't fathom just starting Enos Cantor in a playoff series. My God. I just can't. <laughs> well, it, they're going to have to. Yeah. he's. I was looking at the numbers before, and these might have changed over the past couple days. He's allowing opponents to shoot 71-plus percent at the rim since arriving at Portland. Holy cow. Yeah, it's I guess they don't have to. I mean, they could start Zach Collins, but it certainly looks like that's what they're going to do right now. Uh, him dropping back and picking rolls, my God. Uh, it's just, <laughs> I don't know what else you say. It's just besides these lineup essentials, they all, the profiles almost read identical for the Blazers at sort of every turn, just what they're able to do. Um, this lineup is not shooting an especially high clip from three. It's just, it's really solid all around and, it has some of their their three best players in it. That seems to be the recipe for them. And, and you know, really their four best because Aminu's been in, I think, every lineup that's made the cut for them in, in this exercise as well. Not surprising that they've been here. Absolutely sucks that we've had to talk about so many lineups post-Nurkis injury that really it does derail Portland's season. Yeah, it really does. Um, I was So there's been some debate at certain points this season about who should be that fifth guy. Um, where Harkless is in this lineup, and I think they toyed around with Jake Lehman there for a little bit. Even Rodney Hood has started a couple games recently. That that might have a little something to do with McCollum being out too. Um, but yeah, like you said, it's just as long as they they had. <laughs> I keep having to use post tense or uh, past tense because of the Nurkic injury. Um, but yeah, as long as they had those four guys on the floor, they were in pretty good shape. Do you know what Mo Harkless is shooting from three this year? I, I, I never would have guessed this. I actually do because I have the Blazers team page open and was looking oh, okay. at it, so I won't say it. 27.2%. And just looking at his looking at his career for three-point percentage is crazy. I've never really keyed in on this, but 27% as a rookie, 38% the next year, 18% the year after that, 28, 35, 42, 
last season and now back down to 27. I don't know if I've ever seen a more volatile, volatile, <laughs> volatile um, series of three-point percentages. I've, I've derailed us once again. Uh, how about uh, first career three three-point attempts per 36 minutes? Talk about low. Yeah, yeah. Um, enough to be like weirded out by the results, though, I think. That's why you need All right, to bring Rodney Hood in the starting five now. Can't. Yeah, they, I mean, they, they still have some more options, I guess. Number one. Everybody ready? I'm ready. Russell Westbrook, Terrence Ferguson, Paul George, Jeremy Grant, and Stephen Adams. 1,757 possessions, uh, 8.3 net rating, lineup score of 145.83. There's actually a, that, that's a pretty significant gap between number one and number two. Um, yeah, I mean. <laughs> the most played lineup in the league. By the way, I, yeah, I was going to say that's a ton of possessions. Um, certainly helps that they've been healthy and, and able to rack up all those numbers. I think most people are aware of the net rating swing that Paul George has. It's he's certainly having an impact on this lineup. Um, Jeremy Grant has taken huge steps forward this season. I I think one of the best or one of the coolest things the last couple of years to me is just how well Westbrook and George have fit together and sort of played off of each other. Um, he, he really like when they first acquired him in the trade, I thought he's not as good as Kevin Durant, um, but he just might fit a little bit better than Russell Westbrook. And he's actually grown into more of a Kevin Durant type player over the course of his time there. And Westbrook has ceded a lot of his control to him. And it just seems like there's a really nice um, symbiosis between those two guys. I don't know if they can even win a first round series, um, but that the way that this group fits together, particularly their top two guys is uh, pretty fun to watch. It's yeah, for sure. They're, this group, though, is in the 49th percentile of offensive efficiency for the year. And that's yeah, while that's shooting 39.2% from three as mm. a group. And they're, that's really what's going to do them in, in the playoffs is that you don't have the – we talked about Terrence Ferguson shot the ball really well um, for parts this year. So did Nader. Russell Westbrook was shooting better from the field for a point. But they don't have the reliable spacing. And their offense, it really just does suffer at stretches, particularly when – Paul George is not the best version ever of himself. Like he's hitting these ridiculously tough pull-up three-pointers. When those aren't falling, it changes the the dynamics of their offense. And Russell Westbrook, still a force of nature. The Thunder, I think, are noticeably better off when Paul George is the one that's trying to carry the offensive machine or the one that's really putting pressure on defenses and, and making yeah. shots. It opens up more stuff for them to me. So they're definitely a team to watch because I don't, they don't have the solution at least in-house to me to solve some of the offensive warts, but this is a defense that can really cause problems. They've had some defensive swings this year. This team is, you know, it's, it looked like they might be just a serious challenger to the Warriors at one point at, in the beginning of the season, not the beginning, but for a good chunk of the season. But you talk about seesaw, they're, they're now slated to finish seventh in the West. And yes, okay. You avoid the, Warriors in the first round if you do that but it's this is a team we were talking about as a third seed or chasing the second seed just a couple weeks ago with the Nuggets so they're talk about volatile this is like it's a great lineup it's a volatile lineup from a volatile team Mm -hmm. I think that's all totally fair 
Um, Are you surprised they're the number one lineup? I actually was. I would have thought it would have came from the Warriors, the Raptors, maybe even the Blazers or the Jazz before them. Their volume um, certainly helps. And they are, you know, they're good when they're out there together. So if you're just good to solid with that many possessions, you're going to win this formula. Um, So I I wasn't stunned. Um, Do you know what OKC is with Westbrook on and, and Paul George off? I don't know. I do not. 25th percentile. Minus six. And now I naturally want to see what it is um, inverse. Maybe maybe I'm making a case for George to move back into third on my MVP ladder right here. <laughs> um, when George is on and Westbrook is off, they're plus 5.7, which is 83rd percentile. Um, he's He's been phenomenal for them all season. And even as he's gone through this um, – it's been a while now that he's kind of struggled. And a lot of people think that his shoulder is still hurt and that would certainly make it harder to make shots. But even after this, even after this lull that he's had for, I don't know, close to a month now, he's his, his net rating swing is still crazy. Um, He is at plus eight. He he changes OKC's net rating by 18 and a half points, which is 99th percentile. Um, the only people ahead of him are Mark Gasol, but that's just his Raptors minutes, um, which is actually pretty high still, 536. And then Quincy Acey's only played 100 minutes, so I think we can remove him. Um, it's so weird to know that Mark Gasol's there, and I think that he could be played off the floor in a few of the matchups Toronto would face in the postseason. That's just but have he's, he's a good fit for their team, but I think that when you look at I, I just like if you look at playing the Bucks as a team, or if you look at playing the Celtics, yeah, whether or not you know what when they're not going with both Baines and Horford on the floor, if you have just Horford, I think they're really bad matchups for him. But that he's having such a huge impact on their net rating is interesting. I actually feel like he'll be fine in the East. Um, I could see the Warriors playing him off the floor. Well, definitely, definitely but, them. But I think Horford and uh, Milwaukee. If they're willing to go small with, you know, when Miritich is healthy and him and Giannis in the front court. Yeah. So if it's Brooke Lopez, it'll be fine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, that's that takes us through all 25. You even got a bonus one. We added the Bulls today. Um, I'll, I will recap the top 10 since you recapped the top uh, 25 through 11 earlier. Ten is Lillard, McCollum, Lehman, Aminu, Nurkic. Nine was Walker, Lamb, Batum, William Zeller. Eight, Joseph Evans, McDermott, Young, Sabonis. Seven, Curry, Thompson, Iguodala, Durant, Green. Six was Lillard, McCollum, Turner, Aminu, Nurkic. Five, Lowry, Green, Leonard, Siakam, Abaka. Four, Curry, Thompson, Durant, Green, Looney. Three, Rubio, Mitchell, Ingles, Crowder, Gobert. Two, Lillard, McCollum, Harkless, Aminu, Nurkic. And number one, the Oklahoma City Thunder, Russell Westbrook, Terrence Ferguson, Paul George, Jeremy Grant, Stephen Adams. Um, by lineup score, was the best lineup in the NBA this season. Three top uh, ten, and, three top ten uh, units for for Portland for the Blazers. Yeah, and all included Nurkic. <laughs> all um, included. I think. I think it was just toggling that fifth guy out. Right. It was all Amanu, McCollum. Oh, you're right. And Lillard and yeah. Nurkic in there. It was Layman. Turner and Harkless. So the three guys I mentioned earlier that they were just kind of playing with for that fifth spot. Um, I'm sure Blazers fans will love to hear that. (laughs) 
if you have any questions about these lineups or any takes about these lineups or any takes about anything NBA related, you can find us on Twitter. Dan's at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. I'm at Andrew D. Bailey. The show is at Hardwood Knox. Um, follow at Blue Wire Pods as well, the podcast network that we are now on. Lots of good shows on there. They do some giveaways from time to time. We're going to launch a Blue Wire sort of um, full family show, uh, for lack of a better description, where Dan and I will probably rotate in and help host from time to time. So keep an eye out on that. Don't turn them off from it already. <laughs> No, they're gonna come. They're gonna come sprinting to it now. Um, <laughs> I mean, we are clearly the draw. Um, as always, we encourage you to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast if you've already done that. Share it with your friends and family. And until next time, we we'll leave you with a shout out to Ben Udry and Kyle Anderson, Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.